Well, today we'll be finishing our study of Psalm 23. Three weeks ago, we started by looking at what it means for God to be our shepherd in one of the most familiar passages of Scripture, Psalm 23. We saw how God protects last Sunday. We talked about how God is our path, how he leads us today. We'll be looking at this passage to consider what it means for God to provide. This week in the U.S., it was Thanksgiving week, and what's great is next Sunday we'll be starting Advent, the four Sundays leading up to Christmas. So already right now, we can start by getting our hearts ready for all the busyness and the gifts and the exchanging and the decorating that comes during the Christmas season. For parents of young kids especially, it's humbling, isn't it, when you take all the time to find the right gift only for young children to play with the wrapping paper and play with the box instead of the gift itself. Sometimes I'm tempted. Why don't I just wrap an empty box and let them play with that? We look at our world today and we see how all around us that marketers are trying to get our attention to buy the new and the best things that are out there, only to buy a phone and for them to say, well, that phone is already obsolete. There's another better one, a 2.0 phone with a bigger camera or a faster computer. But what we're going to see today in Psalm 23 is that God tells us that sometimes he shows up in unexpected ways with the simplest blessings to get our attention, to tell us that he indeed is our shepherd. In fact, as I was thinking about that, I was remembering a time in my life when I found an unexpected blessing from someone. It was my freshman year of college. I had just moved from my hometown to a new city to go to school and The first week, I had a gentleman come up and introduce himself to me and say, Hi, my name is Nick Hody, and I'm one of the board member trustees of the the college that I had just started attending. And I thought, Oh no, am I in trouble? I just got here. He said, No, no. And what happened was he continued to tell me that he saw my name and saw that I came from the same town that, that he's from, and it got his attention, and he wanted to come and meet me and say that he's going to be praying for me as I start into school, but also he wanted to tell me a little bit of his story, that he didn't realize that God would ever have him be on the board of a Christian school like that where I attended, because he was an immigrant coming from Greece, and he came to America without much money, and he had tried to work hard to get really good in business and build up his own wealth only for it to not go the way he expected. But one day, someone told him about the gospel of Jesus. And he trusted in the grace that only Jesus gives, and he said his whole life was transformed that day. He found a greater purpose. Not only was he going to continue in business to lead that well, but he also wanted to make sure that he blessed other people, to use what God had given him to bless out of the abundance that God provides. So he shook my hand and we said goodbye, but before I had a chance to realize it, I looked down in my hand and 
there was a new $50 bill right tucked in there. I don't know how he did it. I've been trying to work on that as I do that, but he slipped me one in there. And so I went and took it and shared it with my roommates to get some pizza or something. But it stuck with me because at that time, $50 was a, was a lot and still can be right now. But isn't it true? Sometimes the small little blessings get our attention to remind us of God's grace, but in this case, it wasn't just the money. It was to hear his story and to know that he cared for me and wanted to look out for ways he could bless. That's what we see here in this familiar psalm. In Psalm 23, verse 1, as we've been looking at for a few weeks now, it tells us, the Lord is my shepherd. But then it says, I shall not be in want or I shall not want. That's to tell us that God truly does provide. He knows our needs. That's why we're meant to come to him. That's what it means to depend on God as our shepherd. But sometimes this is misunderstood. Sometimes if we read this and think about it, it makes us feel like, well, why would we come to God if God already knows what we need? Why doesn't God just give it to us? Why does he force us to come and and lay our requests before him? Well, we don't have to wonder about answers to such questions. God even took care of that because he tells us. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus, right before the Lord's Prayer, the Padre Nuestro, he tells us a little bit of what this means for God to know our needs. In verses 7 and 8, Jesus says, When you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Jesus is telling us that when we pray, it needs to be thoughtful, not thoughtless, not mindless. Even as we study Psalm 23, it might be one that you have studied and learned and memorized. But that's why we're taking a look to make sure we're not just going through the motions. Jesus tells us God isn't interested in more and more words. Instead, he's wanting us to be dependent upon him. In fact, when we talk with one another, we know what it's like when someone just is going on and on and on, and sometimes I think we just get to the point, or maybe when someone is really tired and they start trailing off and they're starting to not make sense. Well, in this case, Jesus says, don't worry. When you talk to God, when you pray, we're meant to be dependent upon him. We're supposed to come to him with our hearts, maybe even starting prayer. I know even in my own prayer time, as I pray for the needs of others in this church, I often start with, God, I don't know what I ought to be praying for. Would you help me to know? You know the needs of others. Would you reveal that to show what we should do and how we should do it? Because the opposite, as Jesus says, is to think that we need to go on and on as if we needed to impress God with our big words. In fact, I'm sure we know what it's like when someone comes up and says, why, you're looking really nice today. Can I ask you something? You say, all right, here it comes, right? Or a kid comes up and say, mom, dad, did I tell you you're the greatest? Okay, son, what do you want? Well, the reality is with God, he tells us that God isn't interested in us just trying to flatter him. In fact, Jesus says that's what other false religions try to do. At this time, when he says the pagans, that's 
those, the, the Romans and those who had false gods who, who were far off and, and were angry with humanity. And, and it, was, it was untrue. But the reality is when it comes to God, we don't have to feel like we need to get on his good side before we ask. We can come to him and start with wanting to know more about him and know what it means to depend on him more. Asking him to help us. The reality is we can be honest that we know what it's like to have times and seasons when we have been struggling, when we have needs that aren't being met. People who are sick or people that we cared about who let us down or the feeling of what it means to let other people down, to try harder to succeed and constantly feel like we're failing. And then when we read this, In Psalm 23, I shall not be in want. We can be stuck saying, God, I want that to be true. How do we make that be true? Well, the reality is, even when life is hard, we can depend on him. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 1, we're given a way to visualize this in shepherding terms, as we've been looking at what it means for God to be our shepherd. And Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, God says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Sin is like a spot that can't come out. It's like a crime that is punished, that cannot be avoided. It's a problem With on our own, we don't have a solution. But God here says he has incredible mercy, grace, kindness to take even a crimson red stain to wash it pure as white wool. Even when we find ourselves caught red-handed, so to speak, like we have nowhere else to go, God says we come to him. So we're not left alone to feel miserable, to feel guilty, to feel lost. God says he takes our stained rags, our ugliness, our unforgiveness, the things that are deep down that we maybe struggle to tell others about or wonder what God thinks. The Bible says that God hears us when we call to him and pray through Jesus. That we can stand before a holy and perfect God without fear to make our requests known only because of the cross, because of his son, Jesus Christ, who takes our ugliness and pays for our sin to be washed white. So as we think about what it means for God to provide, it starts by seeing sin for what it is, not ignoring our mistakes but to know that God is our shepherd. He didn't leave us alone in our selfishness and impatience to battle by ourselves with being self-centered. When we do that, it only leads to more shame, restlessness, anxiety, and fear. Jesus changes us from the inside out. It's better, as we see here, than any laundry detergent or stain remover. God gives us a better purpose than any other success could ever promise. Better than any job, better than any diploma, award, or status. 
So when it says that Jesus, God is our shepherd, I shall not want, it means giving our problems to God. Instead of trying to solve the problems and habits on our own, when we do it by our own strength, as we're going to continue to see, it means that we're going to keep struggling with the same issues over and over. But the beautiful thing is when we get to the end of ourselves, God says, give it to Jesus. Give him our problems. Give him our stains. Give him our sin. So that we can surrender and experience the freedom and joy that only Jesus provides. In fact, the longer that you know about God, we need to strive to make sure we never forget what it meant to trust him and to follow Jesus as our shepherd. And even as I was thinking about that, I was reminded about another person I met right after college, a man named Jerry. I had just graduated from university and I started working at a church and one day after church, Jerry came up to me and said, Zach, you're my hero. I said, Jerry, it can't be true. I hope Jesus is your hero. But he says, no, no, you don't understand. He said, I'm impressed that there are young people who are serving God, who are willing to give their life to God. And Jerry continued on to tell me his story that he said, you wouldn't know this about me, but years ago I used to be in a gang. And I looked at him and I saw his long beard and all his tattoos and I thought, well, you know, that's not a stretch. If I saw you in a dark alley, I probably would be a little bit intimidated. But here I met him at church and got to hear his story that said, he said, I had run for God. I didn't want anything to do with church at all until finally one day I had nowhere else to go. And I heard about the grace and forgiveness that only Jesus provides. And God changed my heart and my life. And he said, that's why when I see young people who are willing early in their life to serve and to worship and to study the Bible, he said, it makes me think that they're my heroes. And so the only thing I could think to say in return, I said, Jerry, that humbles my heart, but thank you. And I looked back at him and said, Jerry, for that reason, I want to say you're also my hero. Because I told him that even though I grew up going to church, it's hearing these stories about how other people, their life can be changed and transformed. It challenges me to make sure I know that my faith is not just because I grew up going to church, not just because I heard about him at a young age. That The power and grace of Jesus can change lives like Jerry, just like he changed mine, only by his grace alone. God knows what we truly need, that there's grace and forgiveness only to be found by Christ alone. The next thing we can see from Psalm 23 about how God provides as our shepherd is that he fills abundantly, not just a little, but beyond what we can expect. Verses 5 and 6 says, You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. Even in those Two short verses, it doesn't leave much room, does it, to wonder how much God provides. Not just a little, but our lives spiritually overflow. That's why Jesus said he's the bread of life, that he's the living water. To come to him is to not thirst or hunger again. In a similar way, 2 Peter describes what it means to trust and recognize God's abundant blessing spiritually 
that then helps us as we live that out practically. In 2 Peter 1, verse 3, we're told God, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who has called us by His own glory and goodness. The emphasis here to start off before we talk about how we live that out, we cannot neglect this is not done by human effort. The emphasis here is on God's divine, His deity, His perfect power, His strength and not ours. I was thinking about that to visualize it. Have you ever played one of those carnival games where you go up and you take the hammer and you smash it down or you grip the grip and it tells you how strong you are or the punching bag and you try it as you will and you punch only for the next guy to come up and punch it even harder and you think, oh, I got nothing here. Well, the reality is when we measure up to God, what strength do we have? If God were to walk up to those things, it would be effortless for us. And sometimes if we don't watch it, we start to rationalize and think about how we're going to solve all of our problems, how we're going to provide. But here, we're meant to depend on Him. It's like the story of scientists today who were looking at all the discoveries that they came up with. And they realized, you know what? We don't need religion anymore. Religion tried to explain how everything was created by God, but that, we know that's not true because we can create life. They've unpacked the DNA and they can take it and make it put together. And in the midst of priding themselves in this discovery, they heard a voice. It was God who said, really, you think you can create like I created? And they were shocked for a moment. Then they collected together and they said, well, look what we can do, God. We can take the matter and molecules and put them together and we can create life. And God said, okay, well, why don't you show me? Why don't you create like I created, he said to the scientists. So the scientists got together and said, create like God created. Okay, we think we know what that means. They went back in the Bible and said, okay, so God created humanity from dust and we can take the molecules from dust and we can put it together and we can grow life that together. And as they were doing it, God came and looked to see how they were doing. And they said, well, look here, God, we're doing what you did. We took dust and we're putting it together and it's creating life. And God said, well, that's, that's sort of how I did it, but not quite. They said, well, what do you mean? Isn't that what it says in Genesis that you created out of dust? He said, yes, now start without dust. The reality was God created out of nothing. God created even the dust, everything that we see. And try as we might, we can discover this beautiful world that God created, but we can never speak things out of nothing into existence. Only God can do that. We're meant to rely on His divine power. Second Peter continues on in verse 4. It says, Through these He has given us His very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. It's God's power that backs up His promises. We live at a time in our world where it seems like there is a lack of commitment. Well, maybe not quite. Maybe there is a lot of promises made, but there's not a lot of follow-through. People who have good desires but aren't true to their word. Here we're told that God is always true to deliver. 
on everything he says. In fact, one of the things Jesus promised was that he was going to die on the cross. He predicted his own death and his, his resurrection on the third day. And they didn't believe him. But he came back exactly how he said he would. God has the power to deliver on his promises and then help us as we commit to listening and obeying what he said. And in this case, 2 Peter continues on to tell us exactly what that means to commit as God commits. Picking back up in verse 5, it says, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, to goodness knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here we're even given a list to show us God's abundance, very similar to Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. If you think about it, God could have just said love. God could have just said, I give you some love. But he continues, he says, not just love, but godliness and perseverance, kindness, and so on. But if you just start in verse 5 to see that we need to make every effort to do this, that's important. But we also need to go back to verse 3. We don't do it alone, do we? It's his divine power that works in us. The only reason that we can live these things out is because God defines them. And God blesses and keeps on blessing. Practically speaking, when you see lists like this in the Bible, you can take one and pray through it for yourself. Pray for it for your family to say, God, I want to see more of your godliness in my, my family's life, in my home, in my workplace. And then the next day you can say, okay, God, help us to have kindness, to see what it means to have that in addition to persevering to enduring by His grace. God blesses abundantly. That's why Psalm 23 says His goodness and His love, both of those words show up there too. They follow us all the days of our life. And the description here isn't that God is catching up as we're running the opposite direction. It's that God is pursuing us like a hunter going after His prey. God isn't going to come to attack us, but he's coming to continue to bless with more of his goodness. In fact, if you go through all those characteristics and qualities, each one of us reveal to us, each one of them tells us more and more of God's character, who God is, and to help us to invite that in our own lives. Verse 9 continues in 2 Peter to tell us there's a warning. It says, if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Nearsighted is an eye doctor term. You know, it's like to go get your eyes checked. We talked about going to the dentist with the children's message. Now we'll have an eye doctor check. Read the top line and all right, can you read the next one? And then the next one gets smaller till the bottom. You're just guessing on all the letters. Well, here, nearsightedness means we can see what's in front of us, but we miss the bigger picture. 
The warning is that we would become blind to God's forgiveness to forget what it means to live these out in our life. Being cleansed is a picture of baptism, what we celebrate, that outwardly we are celebrating the inward change to be forgiven from sin. The idea here is to keep going back to God's word to ask him to define our lives by these things so that we don't become spiritually blind. Without God's help, we don't know our need to be forgiven. And then in verses 10 and 11, it continues to say, Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Two final words that are similar. One is calling. might ask someone, what do you feel called to do? What do you want to do, your purpose in life? And in this case, the main goal is to trust Jesus, to leave our sin, to hear His voice, and the rest of our lives by faith follow knowing that Jesus is King, that He's the truth, He's the only way to be saved. The other word in this passage that sadly gets misunderstood is the word election. That Sometimes people fight about these things to try to understand what the Bible exactly means here. And My antidote to that is to say that there's only one person who's always right, Jesus. And we look to Him. And when we quote Him, That means we're not right by ourselves. We're right because we're listening to what Jesus has said. And if anyone says they don't want to listen to Jesus or don't agree with Jesus, well, of course, on that one, there would be division. But in this case, I heard it recently to frame it a different way, to say that election here is like what we think about when we elect people into government. It's someone who's appointed to represent And that takes us to two places in the Bible. When we talk about election and not just what it means for God to call us, but we go back to Adam and Eve. The very beginning, as we talked about God creating life, Adam and Eve were tempted and were tested. The Bible tells us that Adam was elected to represent humanity, to see if he would trust and obey God. And of course, they were deceived and tempted, and they disobeyed God. And on behalf of humanity, to represent us, they failed, resulting in separation from God because of sin. I was once teaching that in a high school Bible study, and I had a student said, well, that's not fair. I didn't vote for Adam. Why did he Stand in my place. Why am I punished for Adam's sin? I thought that was a good idea. Well, a couple answers to that. Number one, each and every one of us sin, don't we? Adam isn't blamed for our sin. But I turned back to the student and said, someone had to be there. And would you want to be Adam? Would you want to be elected to stand before the tree and represent humanity in whatever decision you make? Would you want to have that? He said, no, no way. That's too much pressure. I'm not not going to take that responsibility. 
But these are good questions to consider, but when it comes down to it, if we're ever tempted to think about this and say, that's not fair. That's not fair of Adam and Eve to sin on behalf of humanity. Well, if we think that's unfair, the other answer we're meant to see here when it comes to election is that God elected Jesus to represent us as well. Just as Adam and Eve sinned and disobeyed, Jesus succeeded and we're forgiven. So if we're ever tempted here to think that it's unfair for God to punish for sin, starting with Adam, the reality is each and every one of us are sinners. Adam was the first to sin, but each of us continue to sin. And here we're meant to see that just like that would be unfair to think about here, we're meant to see that Jesus paid for our sin in full. That he stood in the place of sinners, what's often called the great exchange. We come to God with nothing but our sin, our failure, and our mistakes. And Jesus, by grace, gives us complete forgiveness. This is what causes true and real lasting change in our hearts and in our lives. Out of the abundance that God gives. Out of that list in 2 Peter, each of these qualities point us to the giver to God himself, who loves to bless in abundance. This is what makes Jesus so different. Because we're given the solution first. That's why before we're told how to live our lives, we're first told about salvation in Christ alone. It starts by trusting Jesus as our shepherd. Asking to be forgiven and then following him with our lives. That's why the psalmist says, surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. Notice it doesn't say, maybe God's love and goodness will follow, or I really hope, God, this is true. In fact, if you go back over Psalm 23, there's no mention of complaining in this psalm. There's other places in the Bible, other psalms that talk about requests and prayer needs. But in this case, This is a declaration. Surely, God's love follows us. And that's what we're called to make sure we understand here. Because if you've truly trusted Jesus by faith, we need to make sure we never lose sight of what it means to be cleansed from sin. Which brings us to our final point about God's provision in our life. What does it mean for God to give? It means that God gives us heaven which we can trust to know it is secure. Verse 6 finishes and says, And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. As we've already prayed this morning, we know our world is filled with uncertainty. Only God gives assurance, confidence, based on His promise, on His word. He is good. He is gracious. We've seen that in Psalm 23. Not only does he give green pastures, still waters, goodness and love, but we're promised life forever, eternal life. As we get closer and closer to Christmas, we'll know we'll have young kids around who are saying, is it it Christmas yet? Is it here yet? I can't wait. Oh, I've been waiting forever. We... We can respond by saying, no, not forever. It will come. Don't worry. Time is limited. We know what it's like to be impatient. 
But God's promise here is eternity. And sadly, back in history, people misunderstood what this meant. Sadly, there was wrong belief even about the Bible that said only certain people could know if they were going to heaven. They said that you have to pray really hard and maybe God will reveal it to you. And the belief was that ordinary Christians couldn't have this blessing. Only a certain special elite, elect if you will. And not only does that miss the entire Bible, it misunderstands the very words of Jesus. If we were to break it down in simple terms, in John 19, verse 30, said, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head on the cross and he gave up his spirit. His very last words before dying is, todo se a completo. Everything has been fulfilled. And again, Jesus didn't say, one day it might be done. Keep working, keep being better do more, be a nice person, and, and then God will forgive you. No. With this small phrase, Jesus tells us that there's nothing more that needs to be done. In fact, my, my thought on this matter is if Jesus, the very Son of God, gave his life, what more could we possibly do that could beat that? If God were to look at us and see the death of Jesus and then see anything that we could do to try to get God's attention, he who did not spare his son but gave him up for us all, we can trust that God will provide. It is finished is what Jesus said. That's like a lawyer who says, I rest my case. It's like a lawyer who says, not guilty, the verdict is not guilty. In fact, even in an argument, sometimes we even say to the other person, you know what, I'll give you the final word. What are you trying to say here? The idea here is that Jesus' last words was to tell us that sin is put to death. And that for anyone who places their faith in Jesus, Jesus says, it is finished. And you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That means... Through Jesus, when it comes to death, we will never have to say life is finished. Eternity will never end. And that's why we listen to Jesus as our good shepherd. In fact, we've already considered what it means for Jesus himself to describe his leadership and his leading in the way that he provides as a shepherd. But in John 10, it actually continues and starts off by saying this, Jesus' words in John 10, I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used a figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, 
I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief only or comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus tells us so we're not left wondering when it comes to salvation, when it comes to faith, when it comes to eternal life. Verse 9, he says, He is the gate. All who come to him will be saved. Verse 2, it says, His sheep listen to his voice. In verse 5, Jesus says, His sheep don't follow strangers. And in verse 10, we're given a warning that the enemy is a thief who steals, who kills, who destroys. But Jesus is our great shepherd. Jesus comes to give, to give fullness, eternal life. And not only just a little, but his peace, his lasting joy, his goodness, his kindness forever. The only way that happens is through Christ. He is the gate. He is the shepherd that laid down his life for his sheep so that all who trust in him can find safety, security forever. Sin wants to take. This world demands. Even our own hearts at times can work against us to cause us to struggle and doubt. But Jesus says he gives true security. He blesses abundantly as we rest in him, as we listen to his voice, his death in our place, and eternal salvation for all who believe. Would you pray again with me this morning? Dear Heavenly Father, we recognize our own weakness, our own failures, the heaviness and burdens of this world and life at times. But we're so grateful that you speak through the power of your word, And as we've taken time to read and study here Psalm 23, we pray that we could trust you, Jesus, as our shepherd. To know that without you, this world tries to take and steal. That sin wants to rob us. But Jesus, you gave your life. You gift all those who trust in you salvation forever. God, even in this moment this morning, we recognize that at times we have a hard time listening. Sometimes we aren't slow to listen. Sometimes we are quick to speak. But we praise you to know that we can always come to you, be reminded of your grace, of your forgiveness, that you don't want us to live with guilt, that you're faithful and just to forgive us of sins and to help us to live in the freedom that only Jesus provides. Thank you for the gift of this Thanksgiving season and we pray your blessing on our homes and our families as we enter in to celebrate the birth of Christ, the light of this world. 
that shines through the darkness. We praise you and we thank you. In the powerful name of Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Invite us to stand together for a closing hymn together.